0: The colors of money strategy Congress and the Pentagon use to plan and execute the defense budget works fairly well for big weapons systems. But colors make almost no sense
1: for software and most other kinds of information technology. If software is never really finished, it doesn't really have an R&D phase or a sustainment phase. Navy officials say they've seen some big successes, though, with a pilot program that lets them use a single color of money for software. They want Congress to expand that authority. But as Federal News Network's Jared Serbu reports, quantifying those successes, that's not so easy. It's called the Software
0: and Digital Technology Pilot Program, sometimes known as Budget Activity 8 or BA8. It's only been around for three years now, but that single color of money is a dramatic departure from the way the military has been buying software systems for decades. You
2: know, you have money set aside for doing development, you have money set aside for doing operations, money set aside for doing procurements, and very tight constraints on what you can do in each of those aspects. You've developed it, and then it's in sustainment for the rest of time.
0: That's Captain David Gast, the Navy's program manager for command and control systems. He has several of those more traditionally funded programs in his portfolio, and then there's MTC-2, Maritime Tactical Command and Control. It's a tool that helps the Navy automate and centralize the planning that goes into its ship movements, and it's one of the two Navy programs using BA-8. The current iteration is relatively new, and from its inception, officials wanted to build and improve it throughout its entire life cycle with agile DevSecOps methodologies.
2: We knew we needed to break the sort of large complex piece of software down into smaller chunks that would allow us to iterate on each piece of the software individually. And BA8 is really perfect. For doing that.
0: Perfect because program officials don't have to worry about finishing all of their major software development work using one kind of appropriation, then figuring out how much of another kind of appropriation they might need to deploy it to ships and an entirely different budget line to sustain the system once it's in the field. All three things can happen at once and continuously for as long as MTC2 is in the fleet. Gas says that funding flexibility has let the program move at lightning speed by traditional DOD IT standards. It's rolled out to 15 ships since January, and in that same time, there have been five new versions of the software. Developers are adding new features all the time. He says new capabilities can be developed in as little as a month, and they could be sent to ships over the air because the containerized system is modular enough to incorporate incremental upgrades without a major overhaul.
2: The first instance that we put on a ship was 35 containers. Now, about six months later, we're up to over 40. And that number will just keep going up. Because rather than having to go back into the code base and make changes in there uh, to make it talk to other things, you just bring a separate piece of code. And each of them does run independently. So back to your question, yes, absolutely. If one container crashes, for instance, the whole application doesn't crash. It's just that one container. If one feature of MTC2 crashes for some reason, all the rest of the pieces of it will still continue to work in exactly the same way.
0: The Navy says it's seen many of the same benefits in its other BA-8 program called Risk Management Information. RMI is used to track safety incidents across the fleet. It's also been able to get new software releases out to the field at a pace that's almost unheard of in the world of DoD acquisition about every three weeks. Christine Lemaire, the program manager for Naval Applications and Business Services, says B A eight has also let the program pivot right away when priorities change, rather than waiting another year for the specific color of money officials need to meet those priorities.
3: For example, in fiscal year 22, we were projected to be 70 percent sustainment and 30 percent development just based on, you know, what we had. However, because with the B8 line you can quickly pivot the changing customer priorities effectively reversed the funding percentages, resulting in 67% of our budget spent on development and 33% on sustainment requirements. B8 uh, eliminated the need to reprogram RMI's appropriation dollars to support our, our stakeholders, you know, changing requirements. So it allowed us. Uh, to continue our agile development process in a very fast manner.
0: Like Gast, Lemaire has a lot of programs in her portfolio that use DOD's traditional funding model with separate colors of money, 21 to be exact. She says the difference in managing a traditional one compared to RMI is pretty striking.
3: Traditionally, we are spending you know, quite a bit of time doing several budget exhibits, I would love to have my most of my Agile programs on here. I'll give a prime example. Back in June, we did a real live user story on RMI. All the customers were in the room. We went through all their feedbacks. I need you to pivot here. I need you to add a different dialogue box here. In my traditional programs, uh, that's a development um, initiative. So I would have to wait if I was out of rdt to Twenty-four. We didn't. We were able to get some of those feedbacks that the customers needed and wanted within the next sprint cycle. It's immediate. Let's say from a comparison, I have two million in RDTNE, and I have to use that for developmental activities. So if I get a cut of a million dollars, I may have to wait, you know, two years before I can get that capability out. If I'm cut in a V8 in a uh, program, 5%, 10%, I can sometimes look for efficiencies in other areas. I don't have to wait for additional rdt It's colorless. I can
0: still move. It is difficult to gauge exactly how effective the colorless money model would be if it were applied to the entire world of DoD IT acquisition, but there's a broad consensus among budget and acquisition experts that it's essential in the world of modern agile software development. That idea started to become mainstream in 2019 when the Defense Innovation Board found in an influential report on DoD software acquisition that DoD's various colors of money routinely doom software projects across the department. But so far, the BA 8 pilots represent just a tiny fraction of the Navy and DOD's software acquisition portfolio. Besides the two that congressional appropriators have authorized for the Navy, there are only six others across the entire Department of Defense. Russell Rumbaugh is the Assistant Secretary of the Navy for Financial Management. Two very small programs. Here's the Department of the Navy proving to those people who are responsible for overseeing us that we can be trusted with these authorities. Guess what? They are both on time, on schedule. Uh, They always like to push back on me. They don't promise to come under budget because with these flexibilities, they're (laughs) going to make sure they spend every dollar they can. But they get to immediately extrapolate. Do we need to expand uh, MTC to more ships or do we need to develop a new uh, function? They can do it all at once. Here is a great opportunity to earn the trust for ever more flexibility which we then turn into ever better results. However, congressional appropriators have told DOD exactly how to earn that trust. Lawmakers want to see hard metrics. The Pentagon's been asking for permission to add more pilots to the B-A-8 program, and for several consecutive years, the Appropriations Committees have said they're unwilling to do that until DOD and the military services start producing regular reports that compare the performance of their existing B-A-8 programs against eight other programs that use traditional funding models. We also asked the Navy for some hard data to prove that B-A-8 works better than the traditional system, and officials weren't able to share any with us either. Jared Serbu, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Check out Jared's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style.
1: Um makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration, and I was a supervisor, and I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years, and I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so that was a mistake I made. And I realized in my own sense, I wasn't listening to very different opinions. And I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce, because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful.
4: Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people and even your title, Chief People Officer, what does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus?
1: Isn't that a great title? I just love the title, Chief People Officer, and I think it's my dream job, really, to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful. So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with an intentional focus on culture, because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including Um, any kind of training and learning and career growth and um, engagement programs and listening programs, that's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey, and we'd read it, and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people, and then we would do action plans, and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would, in, would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how, how are things going? Um, because I, we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role, And over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time? as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role. So I think we have such great opportunity again with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways.
4: This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership?
1: There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life. And I think because first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career. And that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership, that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her